Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Well, good morning, friends. How y'all doing today? It's good to see you. My name is Josh Calhoun. I'm the creative arts director and worship pastor down at our Beloit campus. And um, I, I actually really, I'm growing more and more fonder, uh, fonder can be a word, of God's word and teaching it rather than just leading worship. Uh, this is becoming one of my favorite things to do. Um, and so you'll see on your chairs, I've left these little sheets of paper. My daughters put them on your chairs. If you want them, Use this as a tool to fill out as we go through the message today. If you don't want them, just leave them there for the next service. And uh, if they don't want them, I'll recycle them afterwards. But uh, in 2003, one of my favorite bands, Switchfoot, released this iconic album. Does anybody remember when this album came out? Anybody? Wow, nobody. I saw, hey, I see that hand. All right, cool. This album, The Beautiful Letdown 2003, it was the spring of my senior year this album changed my life. Because lyrically, John and Tim Foreman, the two brothers in that band, explore the meaning of life and what truly matters in life. One of my favorite tracks on the album, track eight, is the song Gone, which uh, portrays the struggle that we all face when we realize the foolishness of accumulating more and more possessions. Yet still, We cling to the hope that the next item we require or acquire will satisfy our deep desire for that eternal thing. It's a powerful reminder of what truly matters most. And the lyrics of this song go as this. She said, he said, live like no tomorrow. For every day we borrow brings us one step closer to the edge, infinity. So where's your treasure? Where's your hope? If you get the world and lose your soul, Well, she pretends like she's immortal. Don't stay so long and throw yourself wrong. This could be your big chance to make up, for today will soon be gone. Gone like yesterday is gone, like history is gone. The world keeps spinning on while you're going, going, gone. Like summer break is gone, like Saturday is gone. Just try and prove me wrong. Pretend like you're immortal. For we are not infinite, we are not permanent, nothing's immediate. We're so comforted in our accomplishments, just look at our decadence. Gone like Frank Sinatra, like Elvis and his mom, like Al Capone's cash, nothing lasts in this life. Gone, my high school dreams are gone. My childhood sweethearts gone. Life is a day that doesn't last for long. For life is more than money, time was never money. Life is still more than girls. Life is more than $100 bills and roto-tom fills. Those are the tiny little toms in the 80s. Do, 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 those toms. They're awesome. But life's more than those. Life is more than fame and rock and roll and thrills. All the riches of the kings end up in wills. We've got information in the information age, but do we know what life is outside of our convenient Tesla cages? No offense, Alan. She said, he said, live like no tomorrow, for every moment that we borrow brings us closer to the God who's never short of cash. Hey, Bono, I'm glad you asked, for life is still worth living. Life is more than we are. What is this all about, this thing called life? 
What is the purpose behind it? What is the goal? What were we created for? Who are we? Too often we fall for the lies of what we are not, what life isn't created for, what our purpose absolutely is not. And those things that we fall for are called idols. Idols are something we long for, seeking to fill the internal desire for the eternal. We sacrifice it for it. We, uh, we sacrifice for it, be it time or money. We pursue it, sometimes not caring about who or what gets in the way. An idol is something we often think about the most. It keeps us awake at night and consumes our thoughts during the day. In general, we can define an idol as anything that takes the place of God in our hearts and becomes the ultimate object of our devotion, trust, or desire. An idol can be a physical object, a person, a relationship, a career, money, success, or even intangible things like power, reputation, or self-righteousness. You name it, and humanity has made an idol out of it. So in our talk today, there's so much that I want to go through. Kellen feels the same way every time he teaches. We read and we study, and there's so much I want to say. But in teaching, you learn, keep the main thing the main thing. I'm not going to scatter us. But if you do want to go deeper, I've got a few recommended readings for you. One is Genesis chapter 6, the books of Jude and 2 Peter. This cool book, this amazing book, Supernatural by Michael S. Heiser, or if you really want to nerd out, the full version, The Unseen Realm. And lastly, this book that I'm going to be speaking from, Gods at War by Kyle Edelman. And as always, grab a study guide on your way out. Guys, in the church today, we often consider idolatry to be just a sin like all others. However, did you know idolatry isn't just a sin, but is the root of every sin? It is the root of every problem we've seen through humanity since day one. And the specific theme I'm supposed to teach on this morning is materialism. However, materialism is merely a symptom of the real problem. So instead, we're going to look a little deeper than just materialism. Let's start with the Ten Commandments where we could see why. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's important to remember. In part two, you shall have no other gods, i.e. no idols. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not misuse the name or better put, misrepresent the name of the Lord your God. You shall remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal and you shall not uh, sorry, you shall not covet or give false testimony against your neighbor or you shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, manservant, maidservant, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word neighbor doesn't just talk about the people who live next door to you. The word neighbor talks about everybody in your culture around you. And from this list, my friends, which do you think on this list the majority of humanity has broken the most? Stealing? Maybe. What about false testimony, or better put today, lying? That's a big one. My kids, like, came out of the womb and just started lying, I feel like. What about coveting? Wanting what isn't yours or wanting what should never be yours? 
Many people in our country do say that it's number 10. For living in affluent North American culture, this is clearly a problem. Our whole economic structure might just collapse if we all gave this one up. We're addicted to it. Our economy is literally built on consumerism, and companies literally spend billions of dollars to make you want what you shouldn't have, to make you want what never was yours in the first place. But coveting, uh, honestly, isn't the most frequently broken commandment. But it's clearly not murder or adultery, right? Because none of you have murdered anybody. And I don't know your story, but adultery doesn't seem as high on the list as the others, right? However, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Shoot. I've committed that crime. How about you? And he goes on to say, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Dang, I've committed that one too. And did you know that idolatry, the number one on that top 10 list, is actually number one on the charts? It has been since the beginning. In fact, Martin Luther said himself, you can't violate the other nine without breaking that one first. For idolatry is the number one issue in the Bible. It shows up in every book. More than 50 laws in the first five books are aimed directly at this issue. And fun fact, the first five books of the Bible are called the Torah or the Pentateuch. The term penta means five, while Tuch is the surname of a family of hobbits in Tolkien's masterpiece. That's not true. I have a dry sense of humor. In all of Judaism, idolatry is actually one of only four sins where the penalty of death is attached to it. It's a big deal. And y'all, looking at my faith and life through the lens of idolatry has caused me to have a significant change in how I view my connection with sin and how I view my relationship with God. It has become clear that a war is really raging. And as I examine my heart through this lens, I see that there are powerful gods at war and their strength cannot be underestimated. For the throne of our hearts and everything about us, our actions, how we spend our time and money, every relationship we have, everything we hope for or dream about or wish to become depends on which God wins the war. Every struggle with sin, discouragement, and even lack of purpose is due to idolatry. Like I said, it's a big deal. This war of idolatry began long before any of us and is still ongoing today. And you know why? Look at the top 10 list of commands that God gave us and every single one of them is about self. From the beginning to the last, all of them revolve around selfishness. Don't have any other gods before me because I know what's best for you. You do not. Still, we think that we know what's best for us. Don't make any other images that may look like me or represent who I am because they won't add up. And yet, what do we do? We build up idols in ourselves, thinking that we know what's best for us. Don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't murder, don't covet. Self, 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 right? 
So how do we win this idolatry war? How do we win the war over ourselves? Well, I'm glad you asked. And the story we're going to be talking about today comes straight out of Joshua chapter 24. And it's just two verses, verses 14 and 15. Let's read that together. Joshua's standing in front of the Israelites, and he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose this day for yourself whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. That's my favorite part. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua presents four options and calls the people of God to choose wisely as each option will lead them down a very different path. So y'all, I've given you that list of options right here. Option one, the gods of our fathers. Option two, the gods of our past. Option three, the gods of our culture. And option four, God himself. It says, uh, uh, basically, we are designed to worship something. It's in our DNA. We are innate worshipers. It's as Bob Dylan said himself, you can serve the devil or you can serve the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. And even serving yourself, you're making an idol out of who you are rather than serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with your own life. And honestly, I've seen how that goes. It does not work well. The gods and idols that compete for our attention come at us based on the circumstances of our everyday existence. You've all seen it before. They may have had a few costume changes over the decades and millennia, but they lure us into the same categories, the same sins, the same down, <laughs> downward spiral. I told my wife, I said, I can't have more than one cup of coffee this morning because otherwise I can't talk. Singing is very different. All right, so let's look at option one. Let's digress. The gods of our fathers. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River. Joshua 24, 14. Before God spoke to Abraham about the future of his people, remember, Abraham is the father of the Israelite nation. His ancestors worshipped the gods of that region, Mesopotamia. And the Mesopotamian region, region had a god for almost every possible purpose, including three cosmic deities, three astral deities, or the gods of the stars, and many specialized gods with corresponding demons. The dead were believed to come back to haunt the children. That's creepy. And even hills, rocks, and mountains were believed to be alive with power. Abraham was raised in this, the father of the Israelite nation, and believed in these gods himself. The Bible specifically tells us that Abraham's father was an idol worshiper. This is what it says in Joshua 24, 2. This is what the Lord God, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. Even after the Hebrew people rose to power, were rescued by the one true God from Egyptian slavery, the belief in these gods remained. Joshua wonders if they will continue to follow the gods of their ancestors without any consideration. This is a relevant question that applies to all of us today. I know you're probably thinking, I've never been in that area of the world. I don't even know what the river Euphrates is. 
However, it's super relevant. Here's why. For we often pass down our beliefs and values to our children, whether consciously or not. And in doing so, we may unknowingly create idols in our homes and teach our children about what is worthy of worship. That's why the proverb says, raise a child in the way he should go, so that when he is older, he will not turn from it. So this is where that little slip of paper comes in. I want you to take a moment as I'm talking and reflect on your own upbringing and your family. For could it be possible that the gods you are struggling with today are the same ones your parents or grandparents struggled with and worshipped? It's important to examine and question our beliefs to ensure they align with the word of God and how he calls us to live. For example, did your dad prioritize his career above all else? Masked in the guise of providing for the family, did he base every decision and moment of his life around his job? Sacrificing family time and vacations to climb the corporate ladder? Did his mood depend on his workday? Did he spend most of his time at the temple he called an office? And are you now following in his footsteps, worshiping the gods of money, success, and achievement instead of finding your true worth and identity in Jesus Christ? Or perhaps your mother placed immense importance on appearances, even to the point of obsession. You may recall growing up in a household where everything had to be flawless before people came over. Your mother was always updating the home. No one could leave the house without ensuring every hair was styled to perfection. This was not her. It was just the flawless house. That was it. If a neighbor up the street purchased a new car, your mother would soon desire the same make and model. She'd spend excessive amounts of time and money to ensure that everyone wore clothes from the right brands and the right stores. Is any of this hitting close to home? And are you now following in her footsteps, worshiping the gods of appearance and perfection instead of finding your true identity and worth in Jesus Christ? Have you considered what your parents valued the most? What they worshipped? Did your father prioritize sports, sex, money, status, or beer? Did your mother prioritize shopping, her career, raising children, or entertainment? Don't just skip over these examples. Think about what was held up for you and what idols you may have adopted from your parents. And if anything comes to mind, I encourage you, write that down on the lines provided for you. And then there's option two, the gods of our past. It says further in Joshua 24, 14, the gods your ancestors worshipped in Egypt. Joshua specifically mentions the gods from Egypt. It's where the Israelites just came from. Remember that whole walking through the parted Red Sea? And many of them wanted to go back. These were the gods from the past that never went away. Like the Mesopotamians, the Egyptians had a diverse and highly developed pantheon of gods. They had their popular gods, but would worship nearly everything, including the sun, the moon, and the stars. Worship was just their thing. But as Bob Dylan said, you could serve the devil or you could serve the Lord. You've got to serve somebody. We all are designed to worship. And the Egyptians were just worshiping all the wrong things. The Israelite peoples were slaves in Egypt longer than the U.S. has been a nation. Did you know that? Much of the Egyptian culture was ingrained in their hearts and their minds. And as any people who have been older than 25 can attest, old habits die hard. 
And here's the thing, most of us who become Christ followers, we invite Christ into our lives, right? We're free from the sin and death part. But many of our old habits and desires are still so ingrained in us that they just cling to us. It's kind of like taking a shower, getting all cleaned, and then putting on your dirty, stinky clothes afterwards. Joshua knows there's quite a bit of Egypt stinking up his people. And there are many old desires and habits still stinking up your life as well. Old habits that need to die, but you just can't seem to kill them. You just can't seem to make them clean. You just can't seem to make them go away. If that's you, if anything comes to your heart or mind, write that down in the lines provided under option two. And then option three. And this one may hit a little closer to home. The gods of our culture Joshua 24, 14 goes on to say this, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. We live in a very confused culture, am I right? Thank you. One that doesn't know it's right from wrong, it's good from evil, light from dark, life from death. Even gender is up for debate today. Deception and confusion have been ingrained in culture throughout history, and this is no new phenomenon. For throughout history, we have witnessed the moral decline of once great empires like Egypt, Rome, Greece, and Babylon, now all only remnants of what they once were. And it has been observed by scientists that the average lifespan of the world's greatest civilization is merely 200 years. Let's look at it. Look at the sins of each of these cultures. Homosexuality and all types of sexual and gender perversion, rape, murder on the rise, the gap between the wealthy and the poor becoming further and further separated, the killing and abuse of babies and children. This all happened, and every single one of them fell. And during this time, these cultures, America included, tend to fall prey to the devil's deception and confusion, choosing to worship the idols and gods of this world, such as power, money, sex, and self and neglecting to follow the life-saving commands of the one true God who created this world. I kid you not, every single one of the 613 commands that God gave the Jewish people were for their good. And just as Joshua is challenging his people, we too have the option to follow God's truth, commands, and laws, or fall for the devil's deception and confusion. The choice is ours. God is a gracious God, and he grants us that choice. So today, we must choose between God and self, and that includes money, that includes status, career, relationships, material possessions, you name it. And the Bible challenges, guard our hearts, for out of it is the wellspring of life, or as some translations say, guard your heart, for out of it is everything that you desire. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Guard your hearts, for out of it flows a wellspring of life, And honestly, out of it can flow a wellspring of death as well. So therefore, we must choose. Paul writes this in Romans 12, chapter 2. It's one of my favorites. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This pattern of this world is his way of describing the spirit or the gods or idols of this age. And the Bible advises us to renew our minds. How? By plugging them into his word, the eternal, unchanging truth of the one true God. So what 
What idol or God in our culture is keeping you from worshiping the one true God? What idol of our culture is keeping you from seeking to follow God's commands and laws as best as you possibly can? And yes, there's grace. You're going to fall short. I fall short all the time. And I'm what Eric calls a professional Christian. I do this for a living. And I still screw up many times a day sometimes. However, what idols of this culture are keeping you from moving forward? It's like my favorite movie, Rocky Balboa says, you could get hit, and when you fall down, the goal is you get back up and you keep going. You don't let it stop you. So if there's something keeping you down from moving forward, let's acknowledge that idol right here, right now, because things like sex, money, and power are merely only symptoms to the idols that might be dragging you down. And friends, that leads us to our last option, option four, God himself. Joshua 24, 15 goes on to say, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We had this hanging up in our bathroom growing up. And if you know any of my backstory, my dad didn't accept Christ till he was about 24 years old. His dad was a drunk. He wouldn't come home, and so his mom literally moved 11 times without his dad's knowledge. My mom grew up in rural Iowa with a dad who was gone all summer long because he worked construction. Though he was one of the greatest men I knew, he himself, when asked by my sister at about 81 years old, a man who flew over Normandy in World War II, this guy was my hero. When she asked him, Grandpa, where are you going to go when you die? He said, oh, hell, I suppose. And she said, why? Because I haven't done that much good in my life. How many of you would respond to that question with a similar response? But here's the thing. Oh, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that pardons and cleanses within Grace, God's grace, grace that has saved this wretch of a man from all of my sin. My grandpa forgot what truly mattered. He allowed the gods of his fathers, the gods of his past, the, the demons really, and the gods of his culture to make him think that he had to be good enough to enter the gates of heaven when really there is no one righteous, not one. Jesus came for all of us unrighteous sinners being the only righteous one to pay the penalty that all of us deserved and the price none of us could afford, and he did that on the cross. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. My dad changed the trajectory of his entire past by changing the trajectory of our entire future. My brother, my sister, and myself, my five kiddos, my brother's three kiddos, and my sister's two kiddos all follow the Lord Jesus Christ today. And yeah, we make a bunch of mistakes. But I stand firm on the foundation of Jesus Christ, his grace, his mercy, and seek to follow his commands and his laws, just as my dad sought to do and just as my mom sought to do. The final option really has been the only option all along. After all, none of the other options is anything more than a mirage, an empty promise of false security, unfulfilled satisfaction. And before and after Joshua gives the people these four options, he stacks the deck by reminding them of God's constant presence, protection, guidance, and provision the entire time. 
So with this in mind, he poses a simple yet profound question to God's people. And I'm going to propose the same question to you today. What have any of those other gods ever done for us? Friends, how do we choose wisely? Knowing the only true and viable choice, how do we pick up our crosses daily and deny the deceptions of all other gods, be it from our families, our past, or our cultures? How do we stand with a faith that stands in defiance, in open rebellion against the self, against ourselves, against our past, against our culture? We read and we learn God's word. In Ephesians 6, God's word is the only weapon against the enemy. His word is actually considered the sword of the spirit. It is the only offensive weapon. And did you know, learning the truth is crucial. Here's an example. In the United States, the treasury agents on examining genuine U.S. currency rather than counterfeit money, because the counterfeit money is always changing. It's on the constant move. But by knowing and concentrating on what is true and authentic, one can more easily distinguish between truth and falsehoods, as well as real and fake currency. By knowing the truth of God's word, it is so much easier to distinguish from the ever-changing deceptions of the world. Satan is known as the deceiver. It's one of two titles he's given in the Old Testament. First one, the accuser. Second one, the deceiver. And he does both of them really stinking well. So how do we fight against his deception? We know the truth. The same mentality and practices go for learning God's word. For God and his word never change. It says in Matthew 24, 35, that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So friends, to truly understand the teachings of the Bible, it's important to not only read the Bible, but commit it to memory. It's as the psalmist says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We have it hidden in our hearts so that we can speak it out loud. So when the devil comes with all of his seemingly beautiful idols that make empty promises, we can say that's not true. I refuse to believe that. No, instead I choose the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth. I choose God who brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and I refuse to have no other gods but him. As the church and as individuals, our lives then become a testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness. We become a testimony of his freedom from the rest of the other sick, disgusting gods that only pull us astray. And as we seek to walk and speak and live in obedience counter to the ways of this world, others will take notice. Guys, this is what it's all about. We don't just keep the good news from ourselves. With our lives, we live it out. When I was a youth pastor, I always said it this way. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Let your life speak on behalf of what you believe by living out what you say you believe. Therefore, we point our people to God's way, his better way, his best way. For in his word we learn and know right from wrong, good from evil, light from dark, and life from death. 
So I'll close with this. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I am urge you as foreigners and exiles of this culture and this world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So today, my friends, choose whom you will serve. It's not just your soul that's at stake but also your family, the people of your past, and those around you today. Let us live such good lives as the church among all of them that they see our good deeds and glorify the one true God, turning to his power, his faithfulness, his freedom, and his salvation, just as we have. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.